Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Decoder Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. We're not curing cancer with jumping off a cliff, not by any stretch. But what you can do is inspire. I know that my life was saved by seeing a person step off a cliff and fly. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Those are my favorite subjects. Well, death and sex, anyway. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. I slept with your wife. How could you? And me to talk about more. Well, it's no trick to make a lot of money. I'm Anna Sale. Four years ago, Jeb Corliss was soaring high above the earth in a wingsuit. This is what he's most famous for, jumping out of planes or off mountains and flying through the air in a contraption that's like a kite mixed with a bat suit. He has to keep his body at just the right angle to keep it afloat. On this jump, off of Table Mountain in South Africa, he miscalculated by inches and slammed into a rock. When I hit that cliff, I should have died. When I hit that cliff, I didn't think I was dead. I knew I was dead. Jeb broke both his legs. He was hospitalized for five weeks and had to relearn how to walk. It was just the latest in a series of major accidents. I should have died at least 100 times, you know, at, at least 100 times. And the fact that I'm still here, you know, is, is I, I'm, I, I'm amazed by it. How's it going? Nice to, nice to meet you. I met Jeb at his condo in Marina del Rey in Southern California. The first thing I noticed is the long rope that hangs down beside the stairway. All the way to the ceiling, yeah. How often do you climb that rope? Every other day. Every other day. So every so now the way I have it set up is on back and shoulder day. I can't go to. I can't use the stairs. I'm only allowed to use the rope. Is there a bathroom <laughs> on this floor? There is. Okay, that's clutch. Yeah. But but usually I try not to cheat like that. Okay. Because <laughs> the whole point is to get you know exercise to so. train. 
His place is a total bachelor pad. In the living room, instead of chairs and a couch, there's a pool table and a ping pong table. It's got lots of mirrors and glass and little glass with skulls on them. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice the skulls. <laughs> yeah. Jeb Corliss is an intense dude. He says he's always felt a little unusual. I was always a little bit different than everyone else. And most of it came from the fact that I traveled so much as a child. My parents were art dealers. So they would travel to places like Afghanistan, Nepal, India, you know, Tibet, and buy a bunch of art and then bring it back to the States to sell in the little art gallery they had in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And did you like school growing up? No, I hated school. I thought school was a was an absolutely horrible place. I, I, it was a battlefield. It was a place I went to go to war. You know, I was in a constant state of fighting and conflict and it was a struggle. So were you physically bullied? Oh, of course. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, who in school isn't? I mean, unless you're unless you are the bully, yeah. you're being physically bullied. I mean, that, that's kind of it seems like the system that we live in. And, and, and I think that's a big part of um, I, I got a real understanding of fear real early in life and, and what fear was and, and how to um, not only control fear within myself, but once you learned once I learned how to kind of harness fear and, and understand it, then I learned how to control it to. When you're getting attacked by 10 people, you know, you can't win physically. You know, you have to use psychology and you have to, you know, I use fear. You know, and that's how I, I learned how to use fear in order to keep people, to make them leave me alone, actually. So were you, was that like sitting at a desk in school and you know you're going to have to leave the classroom and you know you're going to have to No, it's five dudes and... jumping on you and beating the shit out of you. And like... <laughs> no, no, that's, that's usually where it's, the fear starts. <laughs> Jeb uses logic to disarm fear, and really most human emotions. I definitely have feelings. You know, I'm a human being. I'm not like a, a, a Superman or a monster or something. I actually do have emotions and feelings. But you learn how to um, control them, and you learn how to understand that, you know, you can't let them make decisions for you. Those calculations have helped Jeb build a philosophy about life that is totally rational and a little cold. Hearing him talk about life and death and love, too, can be disturbing. But he's so logical that it could be hard for me to argue with his observations, even if it sometimes felt like he was ripping Band-Aids off my eyeballs. Jeb says that learning how to maneuver around his feelings and to focus kept him alive, starting when he was 16 and deeply depressed. I was in a very dark place at that period in my life, and I was in a... I had no hope. I had no desires. I didn't really want anything. And it's a very, like, bad place for a person to be when they don't want anything. It's a strange experience. And it's at that point... a scary experience. No, it wasn't, actually. No? It's just numbness. You don't feel anything. You don't care. Did you have suicidal fantasies or anything oh, like that? I mean, that's all you want. All you want is it for, it to, for it to end. I mean, what, I'm going to do another 10 years of this? I'm going to do another 20 years of this? I'm going to do another 50 years of this? No. You know, and, that, and it is. It's a very, very, very powerful feeling. And that's when I saw base jumping for the first time. I was just sitting on my couch just going through channels and stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, this I see this thing come up. A guy standing on the edge of a cliff. And I was just like, oh, that's interesting. What's he doing? And then all of a sudden you see him step off. And I'm like, and it just struck me like lightning. I mean, and so the second I saw I'm like, well, that is just perfect. And at the time, it was like this concept of, you know, wow, you know, very few people in the world are willing to do that, you know? And I'm all, if I do it, well, then I've done something that very few people would ever be willing to do. 
And if I failed, well, then I got what I wanted. So it was literally a win-win. There was no losing. It became like the perfect thing. Jeb started with skydiving, but he had to wait two years until he was old enough. Finally, on my 18th birthday, I went and did two skydives for my 18th birthday. And, you know, I didn't have very much money at the time. So I had to, you know, I worked as a projectionist in a movie theater, which I liked because I didn't like being around the people. So I had to, you know, save up money, go do a skydive, save up money, go do a skydive. So but it took me three years to get my A license, which is good. I needed it to take me a long time. Like it, 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 I needed, because by the time I finally got to the place where I could start like a base jumping course and learning to base jump, I was already, I didn't want to die anymore. Like by that point, I was already over the whole trying to kill myself thing. Now it, 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 now it was just this overwhelming just desire to just fly, you know? And how can I do that, you know, and not die so that I can continue doing it? Like I want to just keep doing it, you know? At 18, the skydiving started giving me some kind of like, Actually, it wasn't skydiving. It was just having a goal, really. The skydiving was almost just an abstract whatever. It was just I had a goal, purpose, like a point, like a reason to wake up and then a reason to eat food and a reason to, to breathe oxygen, you know, a, just a reason to be here, you know. That, and, and, and if you pick a good one, like if you actually pick something that becomes a passion, you know, and then all of a sudden it, it's like, oh, kill myself. No way, man. I, gotta, I got shit to do. That shit has included wingsuit flying and base jumping off the Eiffel Tower, the Golden Gate Bridge, a waterfall in South Africa. This was another accident in 1999. Jeb's parachute got caught in the waterfall and he was slammed to the ground, breaking his back. It was all caught on video. He's also done other insane things. Like swimming with an uncaged great white shark. Since he was a teenager, Jeb has been singularly focused on seeing what he can do with his body and survive. For the most part, that hasn't included making friends. For a long time, everyone at the drop zone just called me the ghost because I just showed up, jumped, talked to no one, left. I never stayed, never socialized, never even tried to communicate with huh. people, did not care. I wasn't there to make friends. All that's relevant is getting the job done. You know? Still. Still, well, yeah, still. And actually, mid part of my career, I started enjoying like hanging out with other people and like making friends and stuff. But then they all died, and now I'm kind of like over it again. <laughs> so now I'm kind of back to just being a total antisocial, just on my own kind of thing. Everybody ready? Whoop, three, two, one, three. And it's funny because like my my last kind of new friend, you know, he kind of barged his way into my life. And then he died. And I'm just like, ah, oh, man. <laughs> I mean, he was a nice guy. I like that guy. That sucks, yeah. you know, so. Who was that? Uh, my friend Jonathan Flores. He was actually, he, he, he became like a really good wingsuit pilot. And I, I kind of took him under my wing and kind of mentored him a little bit. Oh, good work, dude. buddy. I was right there, dude. Nice. Yeah, I got scared because I opened and I couldn't see you. And I'm like, right, I'm like looking around, looking around, looking around. And all of a sudden I see your canopy. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> like, thank you, thank you. And then he just, I guess maybe just a few months ago, he died. I'm sorry. No, don't be. I mean, you know, this is dangerous. At least six well-known athletes died last year in wingsuit accidents, most famously two men who slammed into a rock face in Yosemite. Is there, like, a ritual in the in the in your community of extreme wingsuit flying and, and base jumping, is there a ritual when one of you dies? No. 
everyone has their own way of dealing with death, you know? Human beings, I think that that's one of the things that really terrify us because we are one of the few creatures in the world that are really genuinely aware of it. And it's funny because you always hear people say, oh, you don't know what happens when you die. You don't, yeah, you, you do. And I think that a lot of people really don't like the fact that they know what happens when they die. And I, I think that a lot of people in, in base jumping, at least, I mean, I, I can't really speak for others. I can only really speak for myself. I just know that all you are is just melting back into the universe from where you came, you know, and being released from consciousness. And that's actually kind of beautiful. If you just see it for exactly what it is, you can kind of sit back and go, well, that's just a really natural part of life that everything goes through. Whether you're a tree or a fish or a species or a planet or a sun or a galaxy or a universe, eventually you're coming to an end, you know? And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's totally okay. And once you come to peace with that, then you can all of a sudden be kind of set free, you know, from this like looking at it in such a negative way. Coming up, Jeb talks about his love life and explains why he has no interest in marriage. Dude, if you can get a divorce, then it's not marriage. If you can get a divorce, then it's dating with paperwork. I mean, and now now when you want to break up because it sucks, now it's really costly. Now it gets expensive and annoying. So far, Jeb Corliss has managed to evade death, despite having some very close calls. But we thought of Jeb and his friends when we got this voice memo from a listener named Dan. His friend Kellen died in an avalanche in 2010 while they were on a ski trip together in Colorado. The, the biggest complaint I had when Kellen died was, you know, everyone said he, you know, died doing what he loved. And for me, that was crock of shit because, you know, I had a conversation with him right before and, you know, he had things he was looking forward to and things he still wanted to do. Dan was the first person to reach his friend Kellen after the accident. He tried to save Kellen's life with CPR. And he told us he thinks of it as a near-death experience for himself, too. And he's still struggling with survivor's guilt. That's what I want to hear about next from you, your near-death experiences. If you've come close to death, I want to know how it affected you. Did it cause any fundamental shifts in the way you lived? Did it change your relationships? Make you more risk-averse? or more willing to take chances? We're collecting your stories now. You can record a voice memo on your smartphone, or if you'd rather write your story down, just send us an email. You can send either to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. And we're also trying something new. You can post your story on Medium. That way you can share your stories with us, with other Death, Sex, and Money listeners, and with the whole internet at the same time. All you need is a Medium account. It takes two seconds to sign up. And then add a post at our Death, Sex, and Money page on Medium. You can find it by going to deathsexmoney.org slash medium. We'll also post the link on Facebook and Twitter. On the next episode, Lucinda Williams. We talk about trying to understand her mother's mental illness when she was a kid, getting to chase peacocks in Flannery O'Connor's yard, mourning her father's death last year, and other things. I, I can't believe I just said this over the, on the <laughs> fucking radio. <laughs> it's nothing sacred anymore. <laughs> I'm like, who do I think I am? You know, uh, Tina Fey, you know. <laughs> Thank you. 
This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Jeb Corliss is really close to his mom. She homeschooled him after he left public school in sixth grade. She travels to places like China to watch his jumps from the ground, and she stays with him sometimes at his condo. She lives nearby and even stopped over while I was talking to Jeb. What's your relationship with your mom like? It's good. Really good. Yeah, I love my mom. She's, she's my only real family that's left, you know? I mean, I have sisters, but I don't talk to them or hang out with them or do anything with them, so... 
Do your sisters understand you? <laughs> You'll have to ask them. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I honestly, I don't think anyone understands me. I mean, I don't understand me. So if I can't understand myself, how is anyone else going to? Jeb also doesn't keep in touch with his father, who split from his mom when Jeb was eight. Jeb is single. He's never been married. I've had like at least five long-term relationships. I've had one that's five years, a couple three years, a couple two year, you know, long-term committed monogamous relationships. And they're all bullshit. You know, it's just total bullshit. And I, and I, and I, I, you know, I'm old enough now to like look back on it and go, God, you know, those feelings that made me do such silly shit. And really what made me, what taught me the most is I, I think the most important relationship I ever had was, you know what catfishing is? Oh, you know, yeah. when the, I've been catfished. Oh, and, someone oh, lied to you over awesome the internet? Though. Yeah, it was oh. awesome though. Because what it did is it showed me something really important about myself and about what feelings are. Because if you can feel something for something that doesn't exist, what does that say about that feeling? I love the catfish more than I've ever loved any real person. So think about that. That tells you something. And, and, and for me, it may have been the most important education of my life with a very valuable lesson. Something that I, a mistake that I will never make. A very again. cynical lesson. No, it's not. Actually, it's not cynical at all. They, people confuse it. They, 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 again, feelings and emotions are really interesting because a lot of people put a lot of value on them. They do. Not realizing that they're not real. That they're just you, your biology, trying to convince you to do things. And once you understand where the feeling comes from, then they no longer have power over you. Now you can control your own life. You can control your own self. You can be your own person. And you can no longer be manipulated by others. That is very powerful. Do you think you're hard to have a relationship with? I'm impossible to have a relationship with. I, 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 um, I'm a very difficult person because I'm... People, I think, give feelings like this, like, oh, they're the most important thing. And I think that they're a very ancient, archaic way of dealing with things. I think dogs work on pure feeling. You come home and your dog's ah, just super excited about everything. You know, it's just, oh, I think animals use feelings to, to deal with stuff. And for me, I get the feelings. And then I think about the feeling. I think about where the feeling comes from. Why am I having this feeling? And do I want to act upon it? This is how you and I are different because I love dogs. I love dogs too. <laughs> no, I think dogs are cool. I, I actually, one of the things I love about dogs is how, the feel, how they're just pure emotion. You know, I think that's great. And even when I see a person who's pure emotion, I think it's funny. You know, it's like, oh, wow, I, that's going to be a hard life. Because, I mean, it is. People don't realize that feelings just get you in big trouble. Do you feel like your work and what you do is selfish? <laughs> it's so funny. You get that a lot. Um, it's not selfish to do things that make you happy. What's selfish is someone trying to stop other people from doing something that makes them happy because it negatively impacts them. That's what selfish is. I'm sorry, if a person is living their purpose and doing what they love and it means everything to them and they're willing to die for it, who are you to tell them that that's not okay, that they don't have a right to do that? I, I, I get it. Let's just say I got married, right, and I had a couple kids. Okay, yeah, I'm selfish. You're right. That would be a very selfish thing to do because now I have made the conscious decision to bring another person into my life to support them. And then I'm like, hey, peace out. I'm gone. That's selfish. I agree 100%. But when you don't have kids, you don't have a wife, you're on your own, it's not selfish to live your life and be, and be true to yourself. It's just not. Do you still think you have depressive tendencies? No. Not, I haven't, dude. I haven't had a depressive thought since I was 21 years old. 
I mean, I, I, I wake up every morning super stoked on life. I'm so happy. And, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of my big accidents helped me with that because any day that I can get out of bed and go to the bathroom on my own without having somebody help me is a beautiful day. For me, if let's just say I'm wrong and there is a hell, right? You die and you go some horrible place. Hell for me will be bedpans. I do not like them. Like I hate being laying in bed, not being able to go to the bathroom by yourself and then having to go and you're just like laying there going, ah, and you have to ring the little bell and they come in and the whole process and it's dirty and disgusting and smelly and horrible. And I hate it so much. Well, and bedpans are also, you're totally vulnerable and dependent on other people. It's horrible. It's, it's the, it's the most horrible thing I've ever experienced. And I, and I've unfortunately had to use them more than once, you know, and this last time I literally cried. When I, when I realized I was going to have to use the bedpan again, I'm like, oh, I just start crying. I'm like, I just, no, oh, anything, any, but there's, there's nothing you can do. You're trapped. You're, you're stuck. I actually enjoy rehab now. Like, I like working out. I like going to the gym, getting strong, climbing my ropes, doing my, my balancing. For me, that in and of itself is super fun. So the person I am now at 39 does things for a very different reason than the guy who was 16. You know, the, those two people are, to, to, like, they do a lot of the similar stuff, but their motivation for doing it is different. Okay, I want to talk about that because it seems to me like the things that you do with your body now, you know, makes sense for a teenager who doesn't quite understand mortality and risk in, in mm-hmm. the same with the teenage brain. At 39, why are you doing this? Uh, that's a good question. I've been asking myself that very question recently. Um, it's interesting because now... The jumping is no longer, I mean, I've done it, been there, done that. I don't really need it anymore. Now it's much more about the, the how far can we go? And it's the challenge of, of pulling something that massive off that involves thousands of people, you know? Um, that to me is quite interesting. And now it's funny because I, I've changed a lot on money as well. Like I used to think money was evil. Like I used to think that it was just, a, you know, paper with dead people printed on it and had no real value. So if I made money, I just burned it. What literally. would you buy? Anything. I didn't care. Whatever. I just I bought one time. I, I I got a job that paid me like 120 grand, and I bought a Porsche Turbo. I didn't have any way to pay for the gas or pay for the insurance or pay for anything else. I didn't care. Didn't know if I was going to get another job. Didn't care. Didn't matter. Drove the car like as if I had stolen it. And that and that was just the mentality of a child. I had a very childlike brain that just did not think about the future. I. I, I, I had this concept that when I got into base jumping that I had five years to live, if I was lucky, you know? And then I lived through five years. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'll get another five years. And I lived another five years. And I'm like, whoa. And then another five years. I'm like, what? I mean, like, this is unbelievable. I'm just not dying, you know? And then um, I hit Table Mountain, and I was 35. And I was, like, laying in bed in the hospital, totally shattered and broken, but alive. And I was thinking, wow. That didn't kill me. Maybe I won't just die. What happens if I live to be 50? And all of a sudden I'm like, whoa. You hadn't considered that. I hadn't considered living. I hadn't considered living past 30. And it was weird because my retirement program was this. I die at 30. I don't need to worry about saving for anything. Where all of a sudden at 35, I, I didn't die after just horrendous accident. And I'm like, okay, now I need to start thinking about what happens if I don't die. And I'm like, and that was actually a scary thought. I was like, whoa, that was always my out, my out. My out's always been death. How do you think you're going to die? Oh, I have absolutely no idea, and I don't even really care. 
I mean, it doesn't make any difference how you die. And when you're dead, you don't even know what happens. So it's kind of irrelevant. I, I, I could slip in my bathtub and bonk myself in the head and die, or I could get eaten by a, a, a hippo, whatever. I mean, it's all good. Do you think you're going to die doing a jump? No, I think I'm going to die getting eaten by a hippo. And that's probably the most realistic <laughs> thing that's going to happen to me. Because I am going to go diving with hippos, you know, so they're probably going to kill me because that's like the most evil animal in the world. So, But you're actually doing that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When are you doing that? When I want to. I haven't decided yet. But I'm going to do it. Why yeah. do you want to do that? Because it hasn't been done. If you're eaten by a hippo, <laughs> how do you want to be remembered? I don't, I've never really cared what other people think about me and what I do. I do this for me. Jeb Corliss. His swim with hippos still isn't scheduled, but he is planning a wingsuit flight over the Great Wall of China in May. There's a video of his 2012 Table Mountain accident on our website at deathsexmoney.org. Jeb posted the video on his personal YouTube channel just weeks after the crash. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios. The team includes Katie Bishop, Chester Jesus Soria, Emily Botine, Hannah McCarthy, and Andrew Dunn. Thanks to Stephen Colon and Colin Campbell for their help on this episode. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money. And remember, if you have a story about a near-death experience and how you were changed afterward, send it to us. Record a voice memo on your phone or write an email to deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. As we were packing up our gear at Jeb's house, he had one more piece of advice to share. Never, ever wrap your happiness up in another human being. Because I'm going to tell you what, it's going to end in only one way. Right? Jeb, I just got married. <laughs> well, yes, it works out sometimes. Good luck. This works, I think <laughs> Maybe you'll be the 1% that it actually, like, you'll be like 90 years old and you get to watch him die. Awesome. Because <laughs> the woman lives longer. Yep. Best yes. case scenario, you get I to watch him die. So that's pretty awesome, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.